for joining us, and I know many of you are joining us online. Thank you also for joining us. Uh, Daniel mentioned we've switched up the seating a little bit. We want to be more efficient. We found with these big rows, people didn't want to go over, step over people. So if you're a smaller party, a person, a party of one or two or three or four, if you would take these sections here and we could leave the ends for the bigger groups. Last week we had a family of six or seven come in and they struggled to find a place. So that's our thinking. So as you come in, if you could take, if you're, like I said, one or two or three or four in your party, if you could sit here, leave the outside for the bigger groups, that would help us. Uh, Daniel mentioned you can give either online or back at the uh, offering box. And so we are glad you are with us. This Tuesday, I was at the uh, gym doing my exercise because I'm a fit fellow. You know that. And uh, I've got ESPN on because that's the, the uh, source of all knowledge. And there is Steve Young. Now, Steve Young's a commentator. He was a quarterback for the 49ers back in the day. And he is talking about the Kansas City Chiefs. Do we have any Chiefs fans in here? Because they, they had a big win. They had a big win Monday night. And here's what he is saying about the Chiefs' offense. It is unstoppable. Yeah, tell me about it. And if you're a defensive coordinator playing the Chiefs, you're going to have a long week because they got all these athletes and they can spread the field and blah, 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 blah. And basically he was saying, this is an unstoppable opposition. Defensive coordinators, there's nothing you can do about it. It's a game. Game doesn't matter. But when it comes to life and the purposes of God, that matters. And there are times we feel like, man, that, that looks like an unstoppable opposition to what God's going on, got going on. What then? What then? We're going to talk about that this morning. So you got a Bible. If you'd open it to Exodus chapter 1, we're going to go all the way through this chapter wrestling with this question, how does God deal with, quote-unquote, unstoppable opposition? How does God deal with unstoppable opposition? Now, we're going to spend the next eight, ten weeks in the book of Exodus, and we're going to talk about the nation of Israel. So we, earlier this year, did a series in Genesis, and, and we saw that God drew out a people for himself. After the Humanity pushed back. God said, I'm going to make myself known. And he found this happy pagan named Abraham. He said, I'm choosing you and your wife, Sarah. You're going to have a kid. And there was a whole story there. And there was Abraham and Sarah gave birth to Isaac, gave birth to Jacob. Jacob had 12 sons, four different wives there. Um, and there was some jealousy there. There was a favorite son. His name was Joseph. The other brothers turned on Joseph. They sold him into slavery. Basically left him for dead. But the purposes of God were not being thwarted. Uh, through that, he... He uh, raised Joseph up and to the point where the, the Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, he was having a bad, bad night because he had had a dream. And he couldn't figure it out, and it really unsettled him. And so there was a guy in the Pharaoh's court who said, you know, I, I was in prison with this guy Joseph, and he could interpret dreams. And Pharaoh said, I'll, I'll give it a shot. And he tells Joseph the dream, and bang, Joseph knocks it out. And basically the dream is this, Pharaoh, you got seven years of bounty. They're going to be followed by seven years of famine. And I don't want to tell you what to do, but if I were you, I'd find somebody to, to, to steward that stuff, all that stuff you get in the seven years of bounty, and save it for the seven years of famine. Otherwise, you're going to have like a crisis on your hand. And Pharaoh thinks, you're a pretty smart guy, Joseph. I think I'm going to have you be the man 
You'll be my number two. You, you run this program. Well, meantime, the rest of Joseph's brothers, who thought he's dead, and father, they're starving in Canaan. They think, what do we got to lose? Let's, I hear they got food in Egypt. Long story short, they get reconnected. There's this reunion. There's this forgiveness. The family comes down to Egypt, and the Pharaoh gives them a choice land in Goshen, and it's all good. It's all good. And that's where we start in Exodus 1. Now, these are the names of the sons of Israel who came to Egypt with Jacob, each one with his household, Reuben, Simeon, Levi, and Judah, Issachar, Zebulun, and Benjamin, Dan, and Naphtali, Gad, and Asher. All the persons who came from the loins of Jacob were 70 in number, but Joseph was already in Egypt. Now, God is going to raise up this thing, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and he's going to make a nation out of them. And for the next 1,200 years or so, he is going to be the vehicle through which he makes himself known. Uh, there'll be a change. Israel will be a rebellious people, and, and God will transition to the church. But I think there's things we could learn in Israel's journey and apply to our journey as the vehicle through which God is making himself known. So there they are in Egypt, and verse 6 tells us, Joseph died and all the brothers and all that generation. But no worries. The sons of Israel were faithful and increased greatly and multiplied and became exceedingly mighty so that the land was filled with them. So we're good. Good transition. Joseph's gone. All's going well. Until. Until. Verse 8. Now a new king arose over Egypt who did not know Joseph. So a, a generation ago, it was good. Joseph was a vehicle through which God saved the nation of Israel, but, but also saved the nation of Egypt. But uh, this is a, a new king. Uh, historians speculate. They think that the Pharaoh that was in charge when Joseph was doing the things he did was, was, was foreign. And, and an Egyptian has come, and he doesn't know Joseph. So, verse 9, he said to his people, Behold, the people of the sons of Israel are more and mightier than we. Come, let us deal wisely with them, or else they will multiply in the event of war. They will join themselves to those who hate us and fight us against us and depart from the land. What? What's going on? We've got a new king. He doesn't know the Lord. He's building his kingdom. And he sees some people, some folks that are different than he is. That scares him. They're from a different place. Don't know that we can trust those people. So he stokes the fear of the Egyptian people. We better think about them. They could be pretty dangerous. So, verse 11, they appointed taskmasters over them to afflict them with hard labor, and they built for Pharaoh storage cities, Pithom and Ramses. The idea is we will work these people to death. They probably had to travel to build these cities. We'll exhaust them. They won't multiply. 
Please notice. With one decision, Israel goes from being a favored people to an enslaved people. That's what happens. That's what can happen when you get a leader who doesn't know the Lord, who's building his kingdom, and is driven by fear. One decision, freedom gone, enslaved. Leadership matters. Leadership matters. Verse 12, but the more they afflicted them, the more they multiplied and the more they spread out so that they were in dread of the sons of Israel. The Egyptians compelled the sons of Israel to labor vigorously. Okay, they, they, they're afflicting, but they keep multiplying. And so they, they think, we just got to hit them with harder labor. Verse 14, and they made their lives bitter with hard labor and mortar and bricks and all kinds of labor in the field. All their labors which they rigorously imposed on them. What are they going to do? They're trying to work them to death. Why? Because they're different and they're scared and we need to get rid of them. The problem is the plan ain't working. They keep multiplying. What's going on? God has a purpose for this people, this nation. And Egypt, you can do what you're going to do, but you're not going to thwart the purposes of God. But the Pharaoh, he doesn't understand that. He thinks it's his world. He thinks it's his kingdom. So, they're working them to death, but they keep multiplying. So, another plan. Here we go. Verse 15. The king of Egypt spoke to the Hebrew midwives, one of whom's name was Shifra, and the other's name was Pua. And he said, when you are helping the Hebrew women to give birth and see them upon the birth stool, if it is a son, then you shall put him to death. If it is a daughter, then she shall live. You know what we call this? You know what we call this? We call this genocide. That's what we call it. If you've been seeing the news the last 50 years, we've had genocide going. We've had ethnic cleansing over in Yugoslavia. We've had it over in Rwanda. How far does this go back? Well, it goes back at least this far. Those people scare me. We need to get rid of them. So the king comes to these two midwives, and I imagine they are kind of managers. They're leaders of the midwives. Said, hey, hey, here's what I need from you. Every time you see a Jewish boy, put him to death. It's a little girl, you let her go. This is the king. This is the king speaking. How would you like to be Shifra or Pua? What are you going to do? The most powerful person, the most powerful country in the world. What on earth would make you think about saying no? Verse 17. But the midwives, let's transition. What? What about the midwives? They feared God and did not do as the king of Egypt had commanded them, but let the boys live. Why? Ladies, why are you doing that? This is the king of Egypt. They feared God. 
They fear God more than anything, anyone, any system, any population on earth. They fear God. They awe, they reverence, they respect God above all. The king's ordered, but king, I can't do that because that doesn't fit with my God. Can't do that. We've talked about this before. But if we start in Genesis, we turn all the way through our Bible to the end, to Revelation. Without question, without question, God's number one command to his people is what? Do not, do not fear. Do not fear anything on earth. No person, no system, no army. Why? <laughs> you in touch, you out of touch, what's the deal? Because if we fear God above all, we understand. We don't have to fear a human ruler, a human population, a human system. Well, they may take your life. Yeah, they do. But my God's in charge of my life. These women say to the king, no, no we're not going to do that. Why? Because they understand God created life. God gives life. God takes, only God can take life. That's the problem for the king. So verse 18, so the king of Egypt called the midwives and said to them, why have you done this thing and let the boys live? The midwives said to Pharaoh, because the Hebrew women are not as the Egyptian women. They're more vigorous and give birth before the midwife can get to them. I don't know the answer to this question. Do you think the king believed that? We don't know. But we do know the nation of Israel continued. We do know God had a purpose for this nation. And he worked through a couple of women who feared him above all. So what goes down with these women? Here's what goes down, verses 20 and 21. So God was good to the midwives, and the people multiplied, and they became very mighty. Because the midwives feared God, he established households for them. God rewards their faithfulness to him with households of their own. Well, Andy, is that the way it's always going to work? No, no, no. Read, read the Old Testament. Read the book of Hebrews. There are people who fear God and stand up and, and they lose their life. They get run through. They get hung on a cross. I get a lot of things. So I want to make sure we don't set up a panacea, but I do want us to understand the purposes of God are being fulfilled because these two women fear God above all. See, we're, we're wrestling with this question, how does God deal with, quote-unquote, unstoppable opposition? God raises up people who fear Him to complete His purposes. God raises up people who fear Him to complete His purposes. And where and how and what God will do to raise up people, it has no bounds. It has no end. It can show up anytime, any place. So it was a couple of days before Christmas in 1993. I was over in Siberia doing campus ministry, and I was out for a jog. I'm jogging, and the Russian guy's walking. He's got a big dog. And I guess me running, scared that dog, and man, he ran up and he attacked me, jumped up, he bit me right here. I freaked out. Guy called the dog off, and I was okay. Um, 
didn't feel anything. But I got home, and I lifted. I had three layers, and I lifted my shirts. I thought, oh. He broke the skin. So I called the American Medical Clinic in Moscow. They said, yeah, you ought to get a, some kind of shot within 72 hours. So we went around. Novosibirsk there. We don't have any rabies medicine. There's no rabies here. We've eradicated it. Well, that's great, but if on the chance the dog was rabid, I'm going to froth at the mouth and die. Um, so I had to get to Moscow. They said, well, you need to get into Moscow. So we went down to the airport, and they said, well, you know, uh, in Novosibirsk, they said, yeah, we, we haven't had a flight in a week. Go to Moscow. We just run out of fuel. We schedule them, and sometimes they go, sometimes they don't. Well, they got one going tonight. I think this, so this is uh, Christmas Eve. It's going to go at 11 o'clock. Okay, we'll buy a ticket, come, maybe it'll go, maybe it won't. I really need this flight to go. So we go back home, and about 7 o'clock, I go out and I try and flag, a, with my teammates, try and flag a car to go to the airport. There's no mass transportation here. And, and there were cars that would stop, but they were um, high-end models, like Mercedes or something like that. And you know that's mafia, so you're not going to get in the car with one of those people. I, I turned down a couple rides like that, and I don't want to do that. And they were a little upset, but they moved on. And then here comes uh, a guy in a rickety old Lada. That was the kind of the Russian make. And sure, he'll go to the airport and negotiate a price. And where that guy came from, I don't know. But I, I believe God provided him in that moment to get me to the airport. And that flight didn't go at 11, but it went at 2.30 that morning. We flew into Moscow, and I got my shot, and here I am. God, what is my point? God raises up people to complete his purposes. In the big, like taking on the king of Egypt, in the little, like finding a ride to the airport. And, and that's good to know because there are people in this world and people in power who do not know God. And they think they are setting up their own kingdom. And the Pharaoh, he's one of those people. And you stick with us. He's going to have a lot of conflict with God and, and God's spokespeople. And it's not going to go well for Pharaoh. But right now, he thinks he's holding the cards. Here's what he says in verse 22. Then Pharaoh commanded all his people, saying, Every son who is born, you are to cast into the Nile, and every daughter you are to keep alive. He hadn't even given this up. He's still pushing this genocide agenda. And where does this come from? It, comes, it starts with a fear. A fear of people who are different. But understand, there's a sovereign God who's in charge of everything and everyone. Next then, there's a tendency to want to enslave or make those people subservient. And it's worst. There's steps to eliminate the people. Genocide. And boy, have we seen that in our lifetime. And God said, that, that isn't my purpose. That isn't my purpose for people. Fear slavery, and genocide. And he's raising up men and women who fear him, who will say, in the name of God, no, this cannot go on. I will not kill the baby boys. I will not pitch them in the Nile. Well, God's still using those kind of folks today. And what he does after he resurrected, Jesus gave us the Holy Spirit. And in John 14, 16 through 18, he talked about the ministry of the Spirit. Remember, now, this is right before he's going to the cross. So he's going to go to the cross. He's going to be crucified, raised three days later, spend 40 days, and then ascend into heaven. So he's effectively, physically leaving. But here's what he says. He says, I will ask the Father, 
and will give you another helper, that he may be with you forever. That is the spirit of truth, whom the world, who doesn't know Jesus, they cannot receive this Holy Spirit. Because it does not see him, him, Jesus, or know him. But you, you know him. Because he abides with you and will be in you. And here's what Jesus says. Now remember, he's leaving. He says, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Well, if you're physically leaving, what are you talking about, Jesus? I'm talking about the Spirit, man. I'm not going to be there physically, but I'm setting up my kingdom in your heart. Through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And the belief is that as you and I experience Jesus as a very real present, manifest in our life, the world doesn't understand. They don't, they don't get this. That builds our understanding, our knowledge, and yes, our fear of God. We will stand for His purposes because we understand He is above all. And no king, no ruler, no system, no people, no, no nothing Is going to be our ultimate authority. God is. Are we those people who know and fear God? And when the people of the world who do not know God and think they are building their own kingdom stand up and implement wicked things like fear and slavery and genocide and other things like it, we say no. In the name of God, no. That the purposes of God might be fulfilled. So, this spring during the pandemic, uh, as a family, we had movie nights and we would choose different movies and it led to talk about movies in our family. And, and so, the question comes up, well, Dad, what's your, Andy, what's your favorite movie? And I think all three members of my family, would, they would know that my favorite movie is A Few Good Men. And I like it because of the courage that's depicted. Here's the story. Um, Jack Nicholson is the ranking officer at Guantanamo Bay. There's a uh, private, low-ranking Marine who breaks the chain of command. This mean, man needs to learn not to break the chain of command, so they order a code red, a hazing, and they send two Marines to do that. In the process of that, the young man of the hazing has an allergic reaction and dies, and, and they pin the murder on these two low-ranking Marines. They say, well, well, we were given an order. Well, there's a cover-up. Everything about it, there's a whole cover-up. And so they're going to go to trial, and their case is assigned to uh, a lieutenant, junior grade, uh, named Danny Caffey, played by Tom Cruise, known for making plea bargains. And so the hope is, hey, they'll plea this thing down if, if these two soldiers will just take the hit. And they'll, they'll give them a few years in prison, kick them out, and let them go. And it's all good, except that one of the Marines... So no, I didn't. I took an order. I'm not. I'm not plea bargaining. And so Tom Cruise is left with a choice: I'll just hang these guys out to dry, or I will take on the whole establishment. And there is a classic courtroom scene between Tom Cruise and Jack Nicholson. I want the truth. You can't handle the truth. But in the end, he baits at, at the risk of his own career. Tom Cruise baits Jack Nicholson into admitting he ordered the code red, and and the low ranking the. Two Marines get off on, on most of their charges. But he risked it all. What I love is he risked it all for these two people. I see a little bit of a picture of Christ in that. But he gave more than his career. He gave his life 
for, for me and for you. So what? So that we could be free of this world system that intimidates and lives by fear and lives by slavery and lives by... He, he set us free from that. And He wants us to be His representative, fearing Him above all and standing for what is right in our world. Would we embrace this God? Would we fear this God above all else? I trust as we go through the book of Exodus... Our hearts will be strengthened and encouraged, and we'll be reminded that, that God is always, always playing the final card. How does God deal with unstoppable opposition? He raises up people who fear Him to fulfill His purposes. We're going to move to a time of communion now. And let me just briefly explain what communion is and isn't. We believe this becomes the literal body and blood of Jesus. But we're remembering this Jesus. And we talk about someone who was, who was run over by a system. It was Jesus. He willingly gave himself. He came from heaven, took on human flesh, but then was treated as a common criminal. The, the trial he had, even by Jewish standards, it was a mockery. They whipped him and beat him and nailed him to a cross. And he was innocent. But it happened according to the plan of God. That he might take on your rebellion and mine, pay for our sin. See, Jesus is the only person in the history of humankind that is sinless. John 8, 6, at one point, he asked among his opponents, which one of you finds any sin among me? And the, and the answer was, was silence. So we've come to remember, to celebrate this Jesus who died for us. In the book of 1 Corinthians, Paul wrote about this celebration that we're about to partake in. It's something the church has been doing for 2,000 years. He said this in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty-three: For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus in the night in which he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. If you would take the top layer off that package and take that wafer, we can take and eat. And then Paul went on and he wrote about this communion we're, we're celebrating in the next couple verses in 25 and 26 of 1 Corinthians 11. It's in the same way he took the cup also after supper saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So we take this drink, remembering that the body of Jesus was broken and the blood of Jesus was shed that we could be cleansed. Would you take it and drink? Our God in heaven, we are thankful for your body broken for us, your blood shed, that we could be free from sin. And Lord, we could be free from the powers of this world that would seek to uh, live us, have us live in fear, enslave us, and even commit genocide among us. Lord, you've called us to yourself, and you'll call us home one day, but in that meantime, you called us to stand for your purposes. 
Lord Jesus, I, I pray that we would be men and women who fear you above anything of this world. Jesus, Holy Spirit, manifest Jesus in our life that we might manifest him and love him above all else. I pray in Christ's name. Amen.